Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. Well, welcome back, friends. We are in the middle of a series that we have no idea how long it's going to go for, (laughs) but we are having fun. We are talking about Christianity 101. So all of the things that we find to be very fundamental to our faith as Christians. Um, And to be clear, we're not really coming up with any concrete answers. Sometimes we come up with more questions than we do answers. But these are the things that we think are very important for us to wrestle with and to come up with some sort of idea of what is this about? What does it mean to be Christian? So, so far we have taken a look at the question, well, who is God? And what does it mean to have faith? What is faith? Uh, What are these things that we call the creeds and why are they important? And what is the Bible? So where are we going today? So today we are going to talk about the word of God. <gasps> now, yeah. I you were talking that, about the Bible again. What? No, we're not going to talk about the Bible again. As Steve ended us last week, you know, the word of God means two different things in, in Christianese. Let's put it, the word of God can refer to the Bible. Um, and though we opened a lot of can of worms last week, and there's many more things we could say about scripture. Um, we're going to talk about the word of God as in Jesus today because that is the central focus of what christianity is all about we say the bible all revolves around who jesus is what jesus did his time here on earth and how he continues to be alive and active in our lives today so we are going to be focusing on the second person of the trinity the son of god jesus the christ i am grateful that we kind of like unintentionally serendipitously stumbled our way into this ordering um because really and and we we spent a little bit of time last time in various translations and paraphrases talking about those opening words of john's gospel um where he's sort of trying to describe how do we think about who this jesus is and the, the the language he reaches for is in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and that same who or whatever this word is takes on a human life, becomes flesh and lives among us, or takes on skin and moves into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson would say. Um, And that part of what Christians believe then is not just there's billions of years of history, then one guy shows up and then the rest of history, but like the idea that Jesus, the son, the what we would now call the second person of the Trinity is there from before the beginning in, in the beginning with God, because Jesus somehow is is one with this God and the three persons, and then also is in a human life that is Jesus, and now also continues on into the future in the uh, presence of of the the Trinity in heaven, and also with us abiding somehow. Still, that like we're not just saying nothing for a long, long time, and then Jesus, and then Jesus goes away. But Jesus has been all along, or the the, the Son of God, or God the Son, or the second person has been all along. And then we come to know this Jesus, the second person, with this Word of God person in Jesus. We kind of said that at the beginning when we first asked about who is God and said that for Christians, that always is talking about God as Trinity, not that God is like Trinity, God 1.0, and then God gets some upgrades and tax on a Jesus and a Holy Spirit, but that God has always been this relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit of the three persons. 
and that is something that truly, truly is very central to our faith because there have been heresies in the past. I think, you know, we kind of, uh, we, we've talked about them in different episodes and things that says that Jesus was a created being. Um, but as you, as you mentioned, Steve, Jesus has always been just as God um, has always been. The Holy Spirit has always been. So I think it's important that we, we start out with that idea that, you know, not, it wasn't just some, we say it was the December day. It was probably sometime in the spring <laughs> someday that, you know, this, this baby was born to this virgin woman and all of a sudden, like, this is God, this is Jesus. No, Jesus has always existed. Jesus became human on a specific day in a specific time. And the, the flip side of that though, is that as human beings experience or got to know Jesus, he wasn't walking around with like a sign above his head going incarnate son of God. Like people encountered this wandering mm-hmm. itinerant rabbi and found themselves compelled to be around him. And it's not that we don't have any sense that Jesus would start off a conversation going, you know, by the way, I'm the divine son of God. I've preexisted from the beginning. Like Jesus starts up conversations with things like, hey, would you get me a drink? or, um, you know, touching a leper and making them well, or, um, you know, just ordinary conversations. And that's that the, the way Jesus chooses to be introduced to people seems an important part of about how, what it, whatever it means to call Jesus God. He's also undeniably presented as this fully human um, and, and relatable the way you get to know other people. And so mm-hmm. when, when you get to know another person, they don't have a, you know, a, a, a pop-up bubble above their head with thing, you know, interesting factoids. It's what they reveal about themselves and how you get to know them as a person that then, you know, relationship happens. And same with Jesus. You mean Jesus you know, didn't have a halo and glowed? Exactly. <laughs> so, so I think that we all kind of approach this whole Jesus being 100% divine and 100% human slightly different. Yeah. Right. Like at different points, we tend to emphasize one more than the other. Mm-hmm. And you even get this in the Bible, right? There are right. some gospel writers who really emphasize that Jesus is human. He feels hunger and pain and anger and you know all those things yeah. that we feel. And then other gospel writers tend to emphasize the divine, that Jesus knows things that humans shouldn't know and does things that humans shouldn't be able to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so, so fantastic, right? Because I think we do that and need that as well. There are times that we need to emphasize the divine that Jesus is the one who saves us. And I'm sure we'll talk more about salvation later. Good idea. But but it's one of those, like, Jesus is able to do this. We can't. Yeah. But through Jesus, it's possible. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's really, really like, I really love that Jesus became flesh and became human and experienced things that we did. Like Jesus experienced being tired and being overwhelmed just like me. Yeah. And yeah. so that kind of gives me permission to, oh man, this, there is so much work to do and I am so tired. But if even Jesus can go off into the wilderness and pray, then I can take that time too. And I can take that time to rest and to pray just like Jesus did. I think that even uh, unfolds for me in, in yet another way too, that like part of part of this wrestling about Jesus as God and human 
is is about saying things about Jesus that Jesus is is God, but it also means that whatever God is is like Jesus, and that that going backwards or going the other direction is important too. There were times in Christian history and also in like the ancient Greek philosophers who imagined about a God or a divine force or something um, before that, who sort of assumed whatever God is, God doesn't have emotions because that means change. God is unchanging, unchangeable, and basically, you know, impassive was their word. They can't suffer, can't feel, all that kind of thing. And then that made it really hard for them to wrestle with, well, what does it mean to say Jesus is God? Because Jesus gets hungry, loves, it gets his heart broken, that kind of thing. And I want to suggest that taking the the central claim about Jesus being divine and human also retroactively shines a light back on who God is, that whatever it means to be God, God is capable of heartbreak. God is capable of being vulnerable. God is, and not to say that God will be fickle, like today God's nice and tomorrow God might be cranky and, you know, or, you know, today God gets hangry and decides to, you know, blast somebody or wipe them off the face of the earth, but more like, Jesus shows us what God is like, not just that we claim things about Jesus' power because he's God, but we we get a different picture of what God is or who God is because of Jesus. And I think ultimately that that means, too, that whatever it means to be God, the heart of how God rules the world or saves or does anything looks like the the suffering love that become a cross and resurrection or that become healing lepers or become hang out with the outcasts that that says something about God, about God, not just that we need to say Jesus has more authority than your religious teacher because he's you know divine and yours isn't, but it says something important about the character of God and maybe needs to redefine what God means. And I've never thought about taking it kind of, like you said, Steve, taking it backwards, mm-hmm. you know, um, which makes me think about how so often throughout church history and even still today, people view the God of the Old Testament. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. As that angry, vengeful, mean God. And Jesus is a nice, kind, loving God. Yeah. But if Jesus is showing us what it, what God looks like and, and how God acts and who God is, um, then that needs to go back and we need to be reading the Old Testament and not that they're two separate gods, but you know, we talk about it that way sometimes. The God of the Old Testament has all those same qualities. Right. And so he's not doing these mean, violent things out of sometimes it is out of vengeance, but like not because he's mean spirited, but be, out of love and out of compassion, even though it doesn't always look like love and compassion, at least the way we think of it with Jesus. I'm reminded of um, in in the early 20th century, Karl Barth was this, you know, prolific, powerful, important, influential uh, theologian. And at the beginning of his writing career, he was really, really important for him to say things like God is other than us. God is way different. God is beyond us and transcendent and is not just, you know, human being written in large capital letters that God is other and different. His phrase is holy other. And he said that so loud and for so long it caught on, but 40 years later, he has to come back and write a piece called the humanity of God, where he goes, okay, you all got my point, but let's not make the mistake of assuming that God is so unlike us that Jesus now becomes incompatible with God. And that somehow we have to come back around and say, it's not just that Jesus, uh, you know, is super powerful because he's God walking around in human life, but that God is some, whatever it means to be God is somehow compatible with the incarnation is somehow compatible mm-hmm. with Jesus, with humanness. And that you can 
you can play the melody of God in the key of human in a sense that like you can, you can do that and still have a, still have God's Godness. Um, there's, there's a, a, a line, I'm thinking it might be a Stanley Hauerwas line where he talks about that. Like Jesus is what it looks like when you project God onto the screen of humanity, that like it's, it's that Jesus is, 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 is at the heart what God is like. Um, and if that's true, then yeah, that, that changes the way we talk about, um, Old Testament, New Testament, and instead of saying, well, God was mean, and then all of a sudden God changes, you know, the divine mind and becomes nice, it's maybe God has always been what the heart of what Jesus looks like, and that that changes how we hear everything, yeah. So um, maybe maybe we should talk about some other things that, that are helpful, that are maybe like essential things to know or say that, that Christians would broadly affirm about who this Jesus is or why he matters and why he's different than your favorite novelist or fictional book character. So for me right now, and I don't think that this would have been my answer 10 years ago, but for right now, it's really important for me to have the Gospel of Luke's infancy narrative, to know where Jesus came from in the sense that Jesus was born of Mary and that that is important to me because it helps shape my understanding of Jesus's humanity. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't just this guy that appeared out of nowhere as a fully formed human adult and began his ministry, but rather that he was born a baby and grew up in this family setting of somebody who is a refugee and hiding who he was and then able to come home and that he was a kid who frustrated his parents and continued to grow up and still had that relationship with that family who raised him. Um, To me, that's really important. And I'm glad that we have that in the Gospel of Luke because it's not present in the other Gospels. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Jesus's infancy and one of the parts of the gospels that talk about that, well, kind of allude to that, I guess, um, that we rarely ever talk about is Matthew one genealogy. And I, I'm doing some worship planning now for Advent, which we're going to talk about the women in Jesus's genealogy. And so as much, I agree with you, Sarah, like as much, you know, the, the idea that Jesus was an infant, that Jesus was born and didn't just show up on the scene as a full-fledged adult, seeing the, the lineage of where Jesus came from, and especially looking at these women that are in his genealogy, which is a rare occurrence in, in Jewish ge- genealogy, and that, you know, they're foreigners, they're not Jews. Um, you know, for me, that's something that really speaks deeply to who Jesus is. He's not just from, yes, he's from a Jewish line, yeah, but you know, and he and he speaks about the kingdom and, and and you know coming alongside and teaching and and he comes to save everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. But even in his family line, we as Gentiles are included. I think that's a really, really, really important point that both of you are pointing to. That idea that it's not just what Jesus does as a human that shows us about God, but how he is human that says something about God. That like. It, it's it's a choice on God's part, you could say, 
to enter into the human story um, on the side of the conquered people rather than as the conqueror. Um, uh, that Jesus is the one from humble beginnings rather than the, you know, the child born to the rich and the powerful, um, that Jesus is born in the backward of the empire instead of the center of um, influence and access and things like that, that these are all choices on God's part in a sense. And that those also say something about who God is um, in a way that's different than like, again, to, 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 to riff on other things going on in the first century, the emperors of Rome regularly claimed that they were divine incarnations of the gods or, or um, divine beings as well. But it's important that the Christian faith isn't um, God became flesh in the, in the form of an emperor and, you know, reigned and conquered people, but God becomes one of the conquered who then is executed by the, by the state, you know, and seen as a threat and a danger um, as one of the poor, as one of the refugees, as one of the people who has nothing that says something about the heart of who God is. In addition to, as you point out, Erica, that there isn't this um, genealogical purity that others might have strained for, that Jesus isn't just um, only Israelites, but there's outsiders, there's people with difficult circumstances who are all a part of his family tree, and that God doesn't blush about that, that this is a part mm-hmm. of how God enters humanity, saying, like, this isn't something to be ashamed of. I guess I, I also think that that, that may be an important piece as we talk about like how this, how this reshapes our understanding of God, that even just the the plain old vulnerability, not just of being human broadly, I mean, my goodness, we can catch a cold and die. We're, we're pretty breakable as, as beings go. But that on top of that, as you point out that the, the, that Jesus enters the scene in the complete vulnerability of being a baby um, rather than beaming down as a full grown adult or something like that 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 seems an important deal i mean like that that's that that again says something about the nature of god whose way of acting is awfully surprising and, and later the whole new testament will sort of revolve around yeah this is this shouldn't surprise us this is god's mo to take what looks weak and to show strength in it to you know take what looks foolish and so that that's god's wisdom but jesus then like throws a, a monkey wrench into all of our old understandings of how God, a respectable God is supposed to work. Um, and I, I think that the, the New Testament writers, Paul in particular, and maybe you could say the gospel writers too, seem to revel in that, that Jesus takes our, what we might've assumed is how a God is supposed to work, you know, big and powerful and strong and turns that inside out or upside down. I, I think too for for me it may be helpful i i I can't remember where where i first read this um but that sometimes people assume that when they talk about god they're just it's another way of saying the biggest thing in the room the biggest thing you can imagine and that to say jesus shows us what god is like says maybe our first definition isn't that god is just the biggest thing in the room but that god is capable of being expressed in the humanity of jesus and if that's true that that changes i'm not just always going to say god is bigger than whatever but that god is 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 knowable in in this particular homeless jewish rabbi and i think there's there's something about god becoming human that that speaks to god's vulnerability and like you know for for a time for a season in the history of the universe and before god chose to be limited Mm -hmm. 
limited in, in where he where god was limited in what god could do um yes god the father god the holy spirit were still active in and outside of time when jesus was here but that whole idea that god became flesh or as peterson put you know god put on flesh and moved into the neighbor like that's just i don't know i still struggle after being a christian for 30 some years <laughs> you know how how god can do that and why god would do that um and I just oh, i don't sorry. know go ahead sarah because i don't know what else to say i i love the idea of god limiting god's self so that we might better know god and be in relationship with god mm -hmm. in the in the early 2000s there was a show called joan of arcadia <laughs> on tv and i absolutely loved it it was about this teenage girl in america modern modern day um her, and her name was joan and she doesn't really believe in god but she doesn't like actively like avoid religion or anything it's just her church her family is not a religious family and god starts appearing to her in the form of just ordinary people like she'll be waiting for the bus and an old lady will sit next to her and it's god and god is trying to direct her to do something in her life which she thinks seems a little bit weird but then she later will find out that oh this thing had a ripple effect that i had no idea was even possible and because of my one small act of kindness to this stranger this this and this happened like i had no idea and it's like and this kind of just keeps happening that every time that god appears it's with a different face and a different form but like god is, says again and again i'm appearing to you in this form because this is the form you're most receptive to right now like this is the best way for you to understand me right now, mm -hmm. um, which was such an interesting concept, but it's like a fiction show, but yeah. it, it's very much like that concept though, is God chose to become flesh in the person of Jesus Christ so that the world might better know God. Mm -hmm. And that idea of God being willing to sort of like, I, adapt in how god chooses to be presented in terms that we could wrap our brains around in some way i mean like that by itself suggests an act of self-giving love right that like mm -hmm. the willingness that god's not like i won't compromise i you know you must have me exactly like no that there's like there, there's a reason we get those stories in um in the the book of exodus where you know moses wants to see god's face and god's like it'll blow your mind you you, you know you, you can't you know fully see my face so you can see my backside um and the idea then that that that's not god's final word on the subject but that okay let me come to you in the ways that are bearable by you um and and seek a way to be expressed in a way that you can understand um that suggests that God continues to want and seek relationship and that um, God is willing to find ways that uh, we can bear that, that won't blow our minds or make our heads explode. Maybe we could say 
too, before we forget to say it, that it seems an important part of the Christian faith is not that je- that Jesus lived historically in the past, or even that he is pre-existent from before all creation, but that there is some sense of Jesus' ongoing and abiding presence that makes Jesus different than a historical figure who is now dead. I mean, like, I might take great inspiration from some other historical figure, but I don't believe that they keep talking to me or I can be in a relationship. You know, like we, we, we retell the story of the pilgrims at Thanksgiving, but they never show up at my door to celebrate in a way that's different that Christians believe when we gather around the bread and cup, Jesus is actually with us. Um, and that's an important difference. I think that, uh, maybe makes our faith story different than just a historical appreciation society. Yeah. And that when we say things like come Jesus come, and we know that Jesus has promised to come again, we should all look towards the back door (laughs) to see if Jesus is actually going to come. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that should be our expectation. Right. 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 I, I think that that even changes how we see what the, what the, what the purpose or the the way of um, what 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 the goal of the Christian life is too? Like we might have a historical appreciation society for someone we might agree with was an interesting or notable or laudable person. We might all decide let's form the Benjamin Franklin Appreciation Society or the you know pick somebody that that you want to emulate, and we could all strain really hard to be like them as much as possible and argue with each other about how well we're doing. But that person who is dead can't come and help make us more like them. Ben Franklin. Is is not going to come back from the dead and teach us how to grow out our back hair and wear little spectacles. Um, and yet part of the, the heart of the Christian faith has been that in the, in the, the lifelong project of letting our lives be shaped in the likeness of Jesus, he is an active part of that, that we're not just treating him as like a template and trying to copy ourselves. He's involved in the shaping process and is someone with whom we are in relationship as we go that means it's not just whoever can be the best copy of Jesus wins and gets to heaven. But as we live this life, it's about ongoing relationship with Jesus who is on the way with us. I imagine too, that we're going to at some point pretty quickly, and maybe this requires its own episode on its own, talk about the other major thing the, the Christian faith says about Jesus, not just that he is God in the flesh, but that he is savior. And to say mm-hmm. Jesus is savior begs another question. What does he save us from? What does he save us for? What does it mean to be saved or is it still happening or will it happen? In other words, we're going to have to talk about the thing Christians talk about when they say salvation. Yeah, I was, I've been resisting saying this saying, oh, yes, the other major thing that I believe about Jesus is that he died for us and was resurrected after three days, because that is such a big topic that, yeah, I think salvation needs to be its own own episode. So maybe then we should say that uh, some basics about what Christians believe about Jesus have to do with revealing God, but also that Jesus the, the 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 cross and resurrection show us something about who God is, reveal something about God, but also do something. And what that something is, we'll pick up with next time. Yes. So we invite you for what is a, another exciting cliffhanger here on Crazy Faith Talk. <laughs> uh, join us again next time as we talk more about Christianity 101. And in particular, what does it mean to say Jesus saves next time here on Crazy Faith Talk? See y'all. Bye. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,
Jesus.